1: Hey guys, it's Mike Pesca, and we here at Panoply have been trying to find out more about Laura Mayer and Steve Lichtai. If you've been listening to any of our Slate or Panoply podcasts, you've heard either Steve or Laura asking you to fill out a survey. But which one of them convinced you to do so? Laura, approachable, fun-loving, down-to-earth. Steve, authoritative, a voice full of timber and resonance, perhaps somewhat soothing. Or have you already filled out the survey and vowed to do horrible things to Steve or Laura with a fork should you ever encounter them in person.
0: And thanks. The following podcast contains explicit language.
1: It's Wednesday, October 12th, 2016. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pasca. This is the day death came to Pittsburgh.
0: The county, the Port Authority, and the Pittsburgh Downtown Partnership called on death himself.
1: The Grim Reaper is accosting Pittsburgh pedestrians. His message, if you look at your cell phone while walking, you will die. His means of expressing this message is to channel a heckler for my ties into the late show at Yuck Yucks. Hey, keep your phone down. You're going to get, you're going to meet me is what you're going to meet. But is this actually true that if you look at your phone, you die? I mean, on every sidewalk in this, the biggest pedestrian city in the U.S., you see dozens of people looking at their cell phones. I haven't seen anyone dead yet. Now, if it's an exploding Samsung 7 you're looking at, that will kill you. But checking the cell phone, what it does is it slows you down. It makes you annoying because it somehow convinces your mind that your surface area has expanded fivefold. Seriously, you ever see one of these cell phone lookers? They're stopping short of mailboxes that are three feet away or they flinch when a fellow pedestrian crosses within two feet of them. But do they die Do they really die? Isn't this the kind of overblown, this is your brain on drugs PSA, that seems like a good expenditure of $50,000, which is the actual cost of the program, but doesn't really change attitudes? And when you think about it further, if cell phone users were really killing themselves, wouldn't it kind of be a self-correcting problem, just speaking purely Darwinistically? I guess one justification for spending $50,000 on this program is that none of that money was wasted on the guy who was actually playing the Grim Reaper. Hey, buddy, I'm going to see you in a little bit. Yeah, mister got his head in his cell phone. That's all right. Go ahead. Check your Facebook. You'll be face planting pretty soon. Hey, don't listen. This could be the wisest thing the Pittsburgh Downtown Partnership is doing. They got Tony from accounting, who's always annoying the younger office members about how icy light used to taste better and how pierogies have gotten more doughy and how at least Heinz Ward used to finish his blocks. And they sent him out onto the street in a grim reaper costume and they have him yell at strangers for a cause. Now, what Pittsburgh should do. As the setting of Night of the Living Dead, what they should do is hire zombies to stand in front of these cell phone obsessives and walk even slower than the cell phone people are. GIFs. GIFs. Must access GIFs. That will do some real world good, and it will occupy Tony from accounting just the same. On the show today, I spiel or perhaps reflect upon Republican deflectors or undeflectors or re-reflectors. But first... Dan Pashman is the host of the Sporkful Podcast. He is out with a new series about race and restaurants. It's called Who Is This Restaurant For? But what we talked to him was, well, how you take it on faith and you take it to heart. How the waiting, when done right, might be the most delicious part. (laughs) ¶¶ This is a story about pizza, which I know gets you excited, but it's also a story about waiting for pizza, which is, well, it's a mixed bag. Does it make the pizza taste better? Domino's would apologize and give you a discount if they make you wait too long. Dan Pashman is the host of the Sporkful podcast. He looked into the science and psychology of waiting, and he did it vis-a-vis or shall I say, pizza v one of the most delectable <laughs> items on menus.
0: Uh, I caught what you did the there. City. Hello, Dan. How are you? <laughs> hey, Mike.
1: <laughs> so you never been to this place, Defaro's Pizza?
0: That's right. It's called Defara. It's kind of deep in Brooklyn. Yep. I've heard about it yep. for ages it, and ages. It, it, it Routinely uh, ranks number
1: one, and it has all this allure about it. And among the things are the pizza's really good. I've eaten there. The pizza are not eaten there. That would be weird. I've gotten the pizza and eaten uh, on the street and elsewhere. The pizza is good. The guy who uh, puts the pizza in the oven uses only his hands, which are so callous they're immune to heat. <laughs> it's frequently shut down for health violations. You be ju- the judge if that has anything to do with what I just said. But the <laughs> weights are incredibly
0: long. Right. And that's one of the things they're known for is yes. the crazy long weights, which is why I never went because mm-hmm. I didn't want to deal with that line. And so, I but I'm, I'm very interested in places like Defara. But, you know, even if you haven't been in Defara, you probably waited for Texas barbecue, you waited for bread in San Francisco, or some kind of trendy donuts, or you yeah. waited for brunch. I think a lot of people know that experience of like you heard about a place. Yeah. Everyone says it's amazing, but yeah. it's, but part of the experience of going there is that there's an insanely long in, wait.
1: In fact, a synonym for the place is great is there's a line out the door.
0: Well, to a point. Yeah. To a point. But at, at a certain point, can that long line detract yeah. and make it less great in practice? And that was one of the questions we wanted to answer in this episode of The Sporkful. So how did you attack the question? How did you seek to find an answer? Besides, you know, throwing yourself into it and waiting online for the pizza. Well, that counts for a lot, Mike. Okay. I, mean, I, I am not shy about subjecting myself to research.
1: Yes. If, <laughs> if at the end of the research there's pizza. <laughs> right, exactly. Right.
0: <laughs> so, so I, I decided, right, I'm going to take the plunge. I'm going to go to Defara. I went with my friend Ed Levine, who runs Serious Eats, and, and wrote a whole book on pizza as a pizza <laughs> aficionado. Part of it is it's a destination restaurant. People are willing to wait in line. It's like barbecue joints in Texas. It's self-validating, right? It's like, I just drove 500 miles. There's a line. I must be in the right place. (laughs) So I went, I talked to the customers there, and I put myself through the experience, and we picked it. It was like a 90-degree day. They wouldn't even let anyone into DeFar because their meager air conditioner couldn't handle it. So we had to wait outside on the sidewalk for just about an hour. Wow. Uh, okay. How long ago did you get here? About, say, 40, three days ago. 40 minutes. <laughs> you waited 40, for 40 45 five minutes, minutes? Yeah, already? You're still about, waiting for your pizza? Pretty much, yeah. Absolutely. And this is in New York City where like you can get a slice of pizza on almost any street corner in three minutes.
1: Yeah. I mean, the line might have been so long that it was actually in front of the pizza
0: place that's like four doors down from DeFara. Well, but here's one of the interesting things about DeFara that I learned, yeah. which is that most of the delay is not actually the line. Yeah. The line to place your order at the window is not so long. It's the wait after you place the order because this man, Dom DeMarco, has been making pizza in this place for over 50 years, takes forever mm-hmm. to make one freaking pizza. That's the holdup. And so that gets it. I don't know what you thought about it, but it's like, you know, on one hand, I love sort of partaking in this piece of his of food history. Like yeah. this guy, it's a unique slice. He's, he makes it by hand. Every slice, he chops the basil by hand in a painstaking process and sprinkles it gently on every slice. So thing health code violations right, each right. sprinkle at a time. Yeah. So on one hand, that's amazing. On the other hand, come on, Dom. Come on. Couldn't you get... Couldn't you bring a friend in to stand next to you and help chop yeah, the basil? So the basil guy. Right. We're like, not saying the pizza guy. Right. We're not saying the cheese guy. You can still get a basil be, guy. Right. You can still be there and oversee it. But like, right. couldn't you get a basil guy?
1: And, and all the guys and girls who work there are members of his family. So it's free labor. Pretty much. Yeah. 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 Okay. So what do the scientists say about this? Is there a threshold where waiting stops being fun?
0: Well, so we approached it in this episode from a couple of perspectives. There's a the psychological perspective, and then there's the sort of biochemical perspective of appetite. Right. From the psychological perspective, research shows that to a point when you wait longer for something, you tend to value it more highly because you've invested more in it. There's also something to do with the pace at which the line moves. If a line moves quickly, even if you wait, if you wait an hour and there's only one person in front of you the whole time, you're going to be much more dissatisfied. If you wait an hour, but you're moving quickly, you will be less annoyed by that line. So that affects how people perceive it. That was think, one of the maddening things at Defara. And then there's also the sort of the sunk cost principle, which is just that the longer you wait in line, the more you're like, we can't abandon it now. Yeah. Like, like surely at any minute, the pizza is going to be here.
1: And also when you eat it, I would say, I guess someone can make the argument that you'll be so upset the food one tastes as good. But I would say probably the opposite happens, which is with the sunk cost, you're so primed to convince yourself this is the best thing you ever had. Otherwise, you're an idiot.
0: Right. right, Exactly. Right. That's one of of the things that I think is interesting is that you, you, you want to convince yourself that, you know, it's like an emperor has no clothes situation. Yeah. I think Shake Shack does this it, a lot like Tafara.
1: They have a mechanized and highly automated system of taking your order. That's not so bad. It's just that once you place the order, it takes a while. And there's a place called Burger Fee or maybe Burger Fi that's like two doors down, two blocks down from the Shake Shack in my old neighborhood. It's really just as good. I like it just as good. But there's no weight. And so it
0: doesn't seem as good. Well, right. That's the other thing is that when people see a line, they do tend to uh, assume that a place is better. So there's that psychological. Thing that goes on, but but when a line gets too long, mm-hmm. you know it can be a barrier, and you know it's hard to know how many people don't go to DeFara because of a line. Yeah. You know we don't know how many people, yeah. But I know that I've only been once, yeah. And there's a place called Ellen B. Spumoni Gardens, another famous pizzeria that's a few miles away, where they have a very efficient system. They crank out pizza very quickly, so anytime I'm near there in Brooklyn, typically. I go to L&B because yeah. I know I'll get my pizza right away. And so, I have spent many, many dollars at L&B instead of DeFara because I don't want to deal with the line at DeFara.
1: So, wh- who has better
0: pizza? <sighs> okay, that's a, that's a how much time you got, Mike. Yeah. alright <laughs> is I famous. Cannot wait for my answer. I right. need my answer immediately. <laughs> L&B is famous for their deep dish Sicilian style. It's fantastic. DeFara the place in question here, they have a great thin crust, which is v- really unique. It has a lot of um, grana padano cheese, which is similar to a parmigiano reggiano. It's a very sharp flavor, huh. different from the creamy mozzarella-centric slice you get in most pizzerias. So yeah. that's a nice experience. But the deep dish Sicilian at Dafara was also outstanding and gets less hype. Yeah, I think the most amazing slice of pizza in the universe would be the Dafara thick pizza pizza crust because he puts a lot of oil in and it gets crispy on the bottom mm-hmm. with the L&B Spamoni Garden sauce on top. Wow. You've created a super pizza. <laughs>
1: but who would who would
0: chop the basil
1: is the question. And more importantly, who would wait for it? Would you say the L&B is a good once a month pizza DeFaro's
0: once a year? Yeah. I mean, they're both. There's something amazing about the L&B pizza. The, the more you eat it, the hungrier you get. I feel like no pizza huh. that I can eat so much oh. of it. I just keep going and going. The... the Dufara thing, and this is, gets to the physiological aspects of appetite, which is, you know, you ever get in a situation where you're so over hungry that you feel like you've lost your appetite? I've heard that such a situation exists. <laughs> For me, no. Right. Yes. Well, we look into that, and actually, it, it technically doesn't exist. <laughs> okay. If you're physiologically hungry and your stomach is empty, you're hungry. Yes. Period. You may get distracted. Maybe if you're very hot or dehydrated, all these things can make you feel Mm -hmm. less hungry. But typically when you start eating, you get hungry again. I find though, like with DeFar, when I finally got my food, when I've waited a long time to eat, I get full quickly. I think that's why competitive eaters before a competition will drink like a gallon of water to stretch their stomach. And then they pee the water out and their stomach is big and empty. I feel like my stomach had constricted. I don't know if there's scientific evidence to back this up, but therefore I got full very quickly and I kind of. Didn't eat as much pizza as I wanted to. Oh, that's, that's a shame.
1: Yeah. That's, yeah, it's a failure. So what about appetizers? I guess implied in the name is that they prime you to want to eat more rather than get you full. Is that
0: true? I did not yeah. look into that in detail, but I, we did talk to the expert. We spoke to a little bit about the way your appetite gets primed and certainly smelling food, hearing crunching, seeing food, all of these things Will cause you, they will, um, it'll trigger responses in your body. You will begin to salivate. You will begin to, you're, you don't, you may not become more physiologically hungry in that instant, but mm-hmm. you will be more aware of your hunger. So, and your body will be, begin to prime itself for food. And so it would stand to reason based on that, that one or two bites of something. Would trigger those reflexes, but enough bites of those things are going to start to make you less physi- physiologically hungry.
1: Right, all they do is get your fault. So, if you were science through uh, the science that you studied and the waiting online that you actually subjected yourself to, if you were to create the perfect weight and the perfect circumstances to maximize. Um, I don't know. What would be the best strategy if you were a restaurateur? Would you want to maximize the customer's hunger? I guess you'd want to maximize the customer's appreciation of your food. Maybe that isn't entirely correlated to hunger. But what would you do?
0: I would want the customers to wait five minutes longer than they wanted to wait. Okay. Because expectations are crucial in this. We we talked to this expert from MIT who goes by the name Dr. Q, Q Mm Q-U-E-U-E. And he said so much of of customer satisfaction is about managing expectations of the line. Disney will put a sign up at a ride saying one hour to the front of the line, when in reality they know very well that from that spot it's actually only 45 minutes. Right. But that way you get to the front, you think, oh, that wasn't so bad.
1: Thanks, Dan, now that I know that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Because if you think your food is coming at at an exact moment – when you wait a few more minutes, you get a little hungry, you get a little antsy, and then when it arrives, it's like mm. that much greater of a feeling. Right. But, but when you get past that peak, you start to get annoyed. Yeah.
1: It would be good maybe then you train your servers to say, whatever our special dish, it's a special process. It might take a few minutes longer, and then if it takes like two minutes less than what they promised, right. the customer would be very happy.
0: Or even you could train the servers to always, this happens sometimes anyway, but you could tell them to always come out and tell your table, Eight minutes before the food's gonna come, you come out and say, Your food's gonna be ready in just a minute or two. Uh huh. And then that will help to trigger the responses, and then you start to peak your appetite, but then you wait an extra couple minutes past that, and then when that food arrives, you are just gonna be salivating and ready. Yes. But with
1: this expectations game, I wouldn't want to be too inaccurate if I were a server about when the food's coming out. Just 5 more minutes.
0: That's right. And we in this episode of this Borkful, we talked to a guy named Doug Sohn, who ran a place called Hot Dogs in Chicago for years, famous sausage joint. Famous. Famous yes, also yes. for its insanely long lines. Yes. Before he he closed up shop because he was burnt out, he announced the closing 6 months in advance and the lines got longer and longer and longer ahead of the close. And he said at a certain point it became a real problem because people who came in after waiting two or three hours were so hungry and so cranky and their expectations were so far through the roof that he felt like there was nothing he could do. And that, that was a suboptimal – he recognized that that right. was not a great experience so for them. So instead
1: of the uh, sign that says your wait is an hour, how about a sign that says your wait is not worth it from this point right. forward?
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good. Ab- abandon all ship. You, yeah. you enter here. At
1: this point <laughs> right. and back, you're not going to enjoy it. This is the, you will no longer enjoy hot dogs. Right. This hot is, dogs?
0: Hot dogs. Hot yeah. dogs, yeah. After this point in the line, you will begin to question your life choices. <laughs> yeah.
1: Dan Pashman is the host and the uh, inventor, and he hand chops the basil at The Sporkful, a podcast produced by WNYC Studios and available wherever better podcasts are served.
0: Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Mike. It's also available where they have bad podcasts. Yeah, yeah,
1: that's right. And now the spiel. Nebraska Senator Deb Fischer three days ago on Twitter, quote, the comments made by Mr. Trump are disgusting and totally unacceptable. Under any circumstance, it would be wise for him to step aside and allow Mike Pence to serve as our party's nominee. Here was Deb Fisher on a local Lincoln radio show yesterday.
0: He decided he was not stepping aside. I respect his decision. And uh, I, I support the Republican ticket. And that's a Trump-Pence ticket.
1: Respect. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Find out what it means to Nebraska Senator Deb Fisher. Because there's so much respect going on here. The respect Trump has for the ladies. The respect this one Nebraskan lady has for her own decision. She would be the worst movie villain of all time. You would be wise not to doubt the power of the Sith. The Sith totally suck. Lousy poll numbers. Sad. Okay, no problem. I respect that. Whatever you say, carry on. Sorry to hassle you about that. Just promise not to say it again. Actually, I'm going unshackled. Okay, then. Well... Maybe that was the problem at the time. There was all that shackling back in 2005. You were shackled to those live microphones on the bus. Yeah, you should go unshackled. That's cool. That's totally cool. Either way, you know, maybe I should amend my stump speech for when I was elected to the Senate. Let's see. Back in 2012, I said, We face many challenges in this country, but Americans are exceptional people because we have the talents. We have the resources. We have the knowledge and we have the willpower. To overcome those challenges. Or maybe not. Maybe Americans are just like Canadians or Slovenians or people from Laos. What do they call them? Lice? Lousies? Anyway, I'm not saying that Americans are of usual exceptions. So working my way down the list, I'll also say that I believe we lack the talent. We need more resources. We are bereft of knowledge and have a positive willpower. To clarify, that's what I mean to say. I hope you respect that. We have had a lot of evasions and allusions used to describe what is normally the endorsement of one candidate by another candidate of the same party. The word for that type of endorsement is endorsement. But this campaign, we have senators saying they will support but not endorse Donald Trump. So that's, I guess, like when a house falls onto you. Yeah, I'll support it. I mean, I'm propping it up, but I don't think it's a good thing. Daryl Glenn, who is the Republican running for Senate in Colorado, tweeted this Saturday, America cannot have a man who speaks this way about women be the face of our country in the free world. But then he watched the debate and he was blown away, he said. He said Trump stepped up, took responsibility, and Darryl Glenn went on Fox to say, I want to personally invite him to come to Colorado and share his vision for economic prosperity. And then last night, the first question in the only debate between him and incumbent Senator Michael Bennett was, what is your stance on Trump now? And Glenn said that his endorsement was suspended. He had a suspended endorsement until he could speak directly with Trump. Here, Glenn got into what so impressed him about Trump's performance during the debate. I guess I would say that his apology was not scripted. Glenn also went on to say that what this was was, quote, a teachable moment about faith. Some Republicans aren't saying that they support Trump. Some will say, I support the Republican nominee. So after that bus became a locker room, South Dakota Senator John Thune requested on Twitter that Trump step down. But now he says, I intend to support the nominee of our party. And if anything should should change that, I'll let you know. I will support the nominee. That's all. I I see the line. I see it says Republican and I vote. Is there even a space for the name? I don't even know if there's a space for the name. You know, it's like, 1904 Republican nominee said, talk softly and carry a big stick. You know, I was just traveling to the capital of Nebraska. I mean, 1860 Republican nominee, Nebraska, state capital. So how I got there was I flew out of 1980 Republican nominee in Washington. I connected through Houston's 1988 Republican nominee airport. And then I landed. It was a little like a, a puzzle, you know, like when they ask who's buried in 1868 Republican nominee's tomb. So what do you call these undefectors, these reflectors? Yeah, maybe that's it. They're reflecting political expediency, reflecting our worst notions of opportunism. Now, some Republicans have been steadfast for Trump, which is the opposite of Craven. That is true. It is steadfast. It is unwavering. And as we found out on the Chris Hayes show, it just might be psychotic. Hayes asked Texas Representative Blake Farenthold, what would it take for him to unsupport Trump. Well, listen.
0: Congressman, if someone off the record untied. said, if someone off the record in a locker room, this was not in a locker room, it was a workplace, said, I really like raping women. Would that be locker room talk? Again, it depends. You, you
1: don't know the entire context. But you would be fine this. with but that. I'm not here here tape came out Later, Farenholt clarified by tweeting, During an interview on MSNBC with Chris Hayes tonight, I was thrown off by the anchor's use of a hypothetical question. I do not and have not ever condoned rape or violence against women, this is not the kind of man I believe Donald Trump to be. Well, believe away, Mr. Farenthold. He was thrown off by the hypothetical. He could have gone with uh, the busted earpiece excuse. That was the one that confused Trump when he was asked to disavow the Klan. He could have gone with the busted microphone excuse that flummoxed Trump at the first debate. But he went with the hypothetical questions are confusing and then reassured us that, again, on the issue of rape and violence against women, he has an anti-stance. He is against rape. And not only that, not only does he not condone it, he has never condoned it. So don't even bother digging through all those past questionnaires issued by the League of Women Voters where they asked the candidate, do you condone rape? Because Fahrenholt would have always said no. And last, the question asked, if there were a rape, would you condone it? And then Fahrenheit might get all flustered and say, ha huh, hypothetical, got to think about it. And this election really has given us all so much to think about. And as with all intellectual pursuits, I endorse them. Well, I'm suspending my support of them, during which time I will either be vindicated or forgotten. Thank you. And in the words of the Republican nominee of 1880, is that something in your pocket, Mr. Gateau, or are you just happy to see me? And that's it for today's show. Just producer Chris Berube used to pop out of a coffin dressed as a corpse bride to warn Torontonians of the dangers of wearing white after Labor Day. Just producer Mary Wilson wielded a giant American gladiator-esque jousting spear, which she thrusts at tourists at Yellowstone National Park to warn against the dangers of using Q-tips inside the ear, not around it. Steve Liktai, executive producer of Slate Podcasts, donned Steve Martin comic arrow through the head to spread the word about not just improperly tested gag gifts, but actual arrows through the head. Andy Bowers, chief content officer of the Panoply Network, got his start in this business as the singing pills, telling kids and grown-ups that they're not candy. The gist Perhaps you've seen me in my summer job hanging around Times Square as a meta-elmo warning of the dangers of the other Times Square elmos. oom depuru de and thanks
0: for listening. And then when that food arrives, you are just going to be salivating and ready. Yes,
1: and then you could train them to say, the plate is extremely hot. <laughs> and just so you know, the plate is extreme. How we doing? How we doing? <laughs> ah, you know what I hate? You liked it, huh? Oh, I hate that. <laughs>